Hi guys, I'm Marie. And I'm Maddie. And this is Lost in the Woods. Welcome. But one thing I do know for sure, and I'm not imagining it, is that I'm freezing. I'm also freezing. <laughs> we need to get a space heater. No, because the space heater is loud. Yeah, so Maddie and I are like dying to get out hiking right now, and it's so bloody cold. We had snow this week and a shit ton of it. Yeah, it only lasted like three days though. So. I know, it's completely gone today. It was like dumped for two days and then rained. Yeah, we actually had like record snow one of the days, like the most snow fallen in a single day. Yeah, I don't know. It was glorious though. We did lots of sledding and snowman building and it's all gone now. So kind of the best of all worlds, I think. Couldn't drive my car for a couple days. But yeah, so we're trying to find a hike that we can go and do that's not completely covered in snow that's not extremely cold. Isn't going to happen. It has to happen. I need it to happen. But yeah, so today we are bringing you an oldie. So this case has intrigued me for a really long time. It's a super old case and it is the case of Tent Girl. Okay. As she was known by for a really long time. All right, so this case takes place in 1968. Which is a really long time ago. So some uh, things that were happening in this year, in case you don't remember or weren't alive. <laughs> um, so NASA's Apollo 8 orbited the moon in 1968. Yep. Robert F. Kennedy announced his run for presidency and was assassinated. Boeing 747 jumbo jets first flight occurred. Yep, and Martin Luther King Jr. was also assassinated in 1968. Hmm, big year. A lot of things going on in 1968. Lots of turmoil. Including the case that we were going to talk about today. Including this case. So, on May 17, 1968, near Georgetown, Kentucky, a well digger named Wilbur Riddle was traveling on U.S. Route 25. He was going on some sort of job, but when he got there, they weren't ready for him or something like that. So he kind of had some time to burn. So he had set about collecting glass telephone insulators, which are usually glass or porcelain, and they keep electricity from jumping lines. And some repairmen had been replacing them in the area, so he was going around looking for the old ones. He planned to paint them and sell them. You know, in the movie Fox and the Hound, when the caterpillar crawls into that thing... Mm -hmm. When they're on the line and the birds are chasing and it goes into that little mm -hmm. glass thing and that's it's like probably being electrocuted. What, is that's that, probably what it is, yeah. That's what I imagine that yeah, being. probably. Yeah. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. If you've seen Fox and the Hound anyway. And know what reference I'm talking about. Because <laughs> it's very specific. Yes, that is very specific actually. So this is occurring near Eagle Creek. He noticed a large green bag that was badly hidden by some bushes. He headed over to the bag and tugged at the thin cord wrapped around it. He tried pulling on the cord, and he nudged it with his foot, sending it tumbling down the embankment. He followed it down, and the tarp had partially unraveled, exposing a body-shaped bundle and a very foul smell. Yes, yeah, so naturally, 
Riddle was shocked by this and ran to the nearest gas station and called Sheriff Bobby Vance. Because obviously he doesn't have a cell phone on him, right? It's We're nice. in 1968. Also, if you find a body-shaped anything... Be concerned. Be concerned, yes. Okay, so the sheriff showed up and cut the covering around the body-shaped bundle. It was a badly decomposed body of a young woman, possibly a teenager. She was naked, wrapped in a canvas fabric similar to the kind used to construct large tents. So, if you haven't put that together yet, that's how she got her name. So, her fingernails were painted, and she had her right hand clenched in such a way that it appeared that she'd been trying to claw her way out, and her nails on that hand were chipped away. Mm -hmm. Decomposition had taken one of her eyes and most of her lips. Her legs were folded and torso was bent. Yeah, it's described like her legs are bent and she's folded over, almost like she's sitting in a chair. So it is reported in a lot of places that she's in the fetal position, but that's not exactly how I envision it based on the reports. Okay, so it's some basic form of the fetal position-ish. Yeah, kind of. So she's curled up a little bit, but her legs are folded up underneath her. There are also some reports that call it a bag, not a tent. So I'm not really sure. The pictures look like a tent to me. Okay. So take that however you want. They brought in Kentucky State Police to lead the investigation right away. They just didn't have the resources to take it on themselves. And the sheriff had only seen one murder in his entire career. And it was a wife who'd gotten pissed off and shot her drunk husband in bed. Okay. That's kind of a clean cut murder too. Right. Yeah, I always like to see when small departments just like straight up are like, hey, we need help. We don't have the resources for this instead of that small department trying to take on more than they can handle. Right, because you're going to see less mistakes. You're going to see less issues or problems. More things covered. Yep, exactly. So her estimated age was set at 16 to 19. So a teenager. She was 5'1", 110 to 115 pounds, with short reddish-brown hair. There was nothing else remarkable about her appearance. She had no scars or distinctive markings. Well, she was also really badly decomposed, so I'm sure that any distinct things that she had were... Would have been hard to discover anyway. Yeah. It is estimated that she died between April 26th and May 3rd, about two weeks to two months ago. And part of this discrepancy is the lack of larvae indicating that she had died recently, like less than nine days. There's no larvae there. But the blood in her vessels had completely dissipated or disappeared, indicating that she'd been dead for at least a month. So these two things don't really line up. So she was kept in a clean, safe space for a while and then dumped in the woods, and that's why she has a lack of maggots? Actually, they kind of think that it might be the canvas material and the cold weather that prevented the maggots from developing on her body. Okay. There is no sign of poison or toxins in her body. She hadn't been shot. She wasn't pregnant. There was no obvious sign of any cause of death, and it was labeled as undetermined. There was slight discoloration to the right side of her skull, where she may have been hit or knocked unconscious, and then put into the bag where she suffocated. I literally can't handle that. What a horrible, fearful Would to die? 
Yeah. I mean, especially if it's somebody that you know that's doing this to you. She was badly decomposed and they actually had to cut off one of her fingers to rehydrate it so that they could get fingerprints. I think that's so cool that you can do that. I know. They did that to like one of the pharaohs or something. Oh, Got yeah. Got his fingerprints. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so creepy. Some, It's something like that. Maybe it's not fingerprints, but they rehydrated his skin for some reason. Oh, creepy. But the chances of her fingerprints being on file would be very slim. Well, any fingerprints being on file in 1968? Well, here's the thing. There's no national database until 1999, meaning every check on these fingerprints is manual and she would have to already be in the system for something. And because she's a teenager, that's very unlikely. Because they don't have fingerprints for missing people. Also a teenage girl in the 60s. Right. Exactly. They they, They really weren't going out and committing crimes back then. No. She did have a gap in her front teeth that had a little decay on them, in like in between. And that was about the only distinguishing thing about yeah. her. I feel like a gap in your teeth, though, should be a pretty good way to be able to find a person to match. How many missing people have gaps in their front teeth? How many people do you know that have a gap in their front teeth? Not very many. I can't think of anyone. I don't know anybody that has a gap in their teeth, so not sure how helpful that is but I feel like it should be helpful. I don't know. Oh, and side note, they did bring in two different medical examiners to make sure that they didn't miss anything because they had so little to work with. I like that they brought in two different medical examiners. I don't think there should ever only be one in any case. I totally agree. I mean, we've seen within cases we've done and different things like that, I've seen enough. I've seen enough where a medical examiner like mistakes are made. Mistakes are made. Or assumptions are made. Well, remember, there's been cases too where somebody walks into the room where an autopsy is going on. I can't remember the case that I read this on, but there's an autopsy going on. And the person who walks into the room is just somebody that works in the building. And they're like, what is that smell? And the medical examiner is like, what are you talking about? They're like, that smell. It's like a sweet smell. They could smell the cyanide but the medical examiner doesn't have the gene that allows her to smell it because only a certain percentage of the population can smell cyanide. And without that happening, they would not have even tested for it. How crazy is that? Crazy. Now I need some cyanide because I need I to know, know part it. of the population. I want to know if I can smell it. I know, me too. <laughs> There's some black market. Is it, It's illegal to own cyanide. Right? I'm sure it's illegal to own cyanide. I don't know. I, I feel like I might as well look it up at this point because my Google search is already... Yeah, you look Out it up. My Google, my Google search is a little more. Your laptop Google search is not it's okay. It's so bad. It's not okay. You're on some like FBI watch <laughs> list. And I feel like it's so funny. I hear everyone who does podcasts say that, but it really is true. Like you are on an FBI list because the things that you have to look up when researching these kind of cases. Well, and like sometimes I look up the definition of certain things or certain poisons or ways to die. Crazy stuff everywhere. Okay, so the canvas tarp, rope, and small white towel. Right, which was found on the body over her shoulders. So it was kind of like draped. Like a up, shawl? Kind of like a shawl, but a lot smaller. Okay, interesting. Okay, so those things were sent to the FBI Washington Laboratory for examination. Good job again. Like, let's get this stuff examined and see if we can find anything. Yeah, they're really on it. They are on this. They're not messing around. Which makes this case a little frustrating because they are doing, I feel like, everything they should be doing. 
A sketch of what she may have looked like was made, and it was done by a police officer that was good at drawing and simply did it based off the autopsy pictures. Which would be really, really hard to do. Because remember, she's missing an eye, her lips are missing, her nose is missing. This would not be an easy task. No. I don't know if I mentioned that her nose was missing. No, you didn't, but... But her nose is missing. The press took hold of the story and the girl was dubbed as Tank Girl. So police published information in the newspapers and went door-to-door looking for clues. They searched missing persons in Kentucky, which is a... Rolodex. Rolodex full... It's what we used to use before we had phones and things to keep our numbers in. Michael Scott uses a Rolodex. Michael Scott does use a Rolodex. Yep. Look at us getting all of our knowledge from the office. Or actually, minds. actually, I had a Rolodex at one point. Which is a Rolodex full of descriptions and sometimes pictures if they were lucky. Yeah, so basically... Welcome to 1968. Yeah, you go through this Rolodex and where they even get this information, I'm sure it's just transferred from department to department. And most of them are just descriptions. Height, age, weight, hair color. And then if you find one that's similar... You track it down, you get in touch with the family, you find out if there's anything, you know, you find out if they look like them at all. So public appeals for the family and friends to identify the girl went unanswered. They even distributed flyers nationwide with no results. Nothing. So frustrating. And this is a small town too. They have to be wondering at this point, is she from out of town? I feel like she has to be. On June 7, 1968, Kentucky State Police received a call from Maryland Sheriff's Department, which is about 600 miles northeast. They had a missing teen named Terry Hornbeck, who was 15, and her mother had seen a sketch of the girl and was sure that it was her daughter. She had been last seen two weeks ago getting into a car with her boyfriend. Her dental records were similar But remember, there's no x-rays in this time. So they just have like a basic... Another description. Right. Her family drove the 10 hours to come and look at the sketch and to see the autopsy photos. Police are sure that this is Terry, even though her mother wasn't sure. And her mother went home to plan a funeral. I mean, it just lined up nicely, right? We have this young girl who went missing... A couple weeks ago, fits in our timeline. It's not her though, is it? So 10 days later, police get a call from someone saying, that girl you think is tent girl ain't. She is alive and well in Philadelphia. So police go to Philadelphia and they find her there with her boyfriend. Imagine like if that girl went home and then found out that her funeral happened. Right. And that everyone thinks she's dead. If police hadn't gotten this anonymous call, I really feel like they might have just... That was it. Yeah. In late June of 1968, police got a call from a distressed mother who was sure that Tank Girl was her missing daughter, Doris Dittmar, who was 15. Why are all the 15-year-olds running off? I don't know. She had, according to her mother, left town with a bunch of hippies and undesirables. Which I love this description. <laughs> Just... Hippies and undesirables. Mm-hmm. I feel like Madison would have been a hippie in a previous life. I feel like I had to have been. Yeah, for sure. They collected hair samples and compared it to Tent Girl, and they seemed to be a match. This would have been just a visual match, which has largely been discredited. Mm-hmm. Without DNA, they really don't accept hair matches these days. 
but that's all they had. Yep. But Doris turned up quite alive in Pennsylvania. Imagine being these mothers. No, I can't. I can't. And seeing this girl and being like, that's my dad. Yep. That's my dead daughter right there. Yep. Oh, my God. So traumatizing. So while showing her picture around, police found a truck driver who recognized her. He reported that he had seen her and a man hitchhiking in the area, and they were wearing clothes too light for the weather, which is why he remembered them. Yes. Also, hitchhiking was very normal. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Another trucker called in to say that he had picked up two hitchhikers in that same area on April 14 and said they were not dressed for the weather either. It was near where Tent Girl had been found. They both had backpacks on. He headed south and said that the couple wouldn't quit arguing, so he stopped and kicked them out of the truck. So funny, actually. (laughs) I know. So could this be her? Police are thinking there's a good chance that this could be her. And now somebody has seen what could be... Two people have seen what could be their prime suspect. Yeah, literally. The results of the forensic testing came back. There was nothing helpful. Yeah, the rope could be bought at any hardware store. And the cloth that she was wrapped in, they did determine, was often used in tents, in carnivals, and fairs. The towel-like material, though, turned out to be a bird's-eye cloth diaper. Yet, police never considered, at this point, that she could have been a mother. Because... She's so young. She's so young. But no testing was done to determine whether or not she had had children. So, she is in this carnival... She ran away from her family because she was young and pregnant. Mm-hmm. And she was like, obviously, you're ruined. You're ruined in the 60s if you're not married and you're pregnant. You're ruined. You're, you're done. Your life is over. So she goes and joins this carnival. And then she like meets a man there. Something happens. Someone murders her. And then her baby's just adopted into the carnival and she's just wrapped in a tent. And- no, but I like it. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. In late June of 1968, uh, we're in 1968 anyway, so we just won't say 1968 we've until the in, year changes. We've been in 1968. <laughs> we're not moving years anytime soon. When we move years, we will let you know. Until then, we're going to stop saying the year. Okay. In late June, they got a call from the Northampton Township Chief of Police in Pennsylvania. A couple of weeks Before Tent Girl was found on April 13, so four months prior, a girl was found dead in a canvas bag in Northampton. Her name was Candace Clothier. She was 16. She had been reported missing from home in Philadelphia at 8.30 p.m. on Saturday, March 9. She was heading to catch a bus to see her boyfriend, but she never got on the bus. Five weeks later, when three fishermen were fishing, they found her naked body washed up on a small island in the creek. When I say creek, I think of like what we have for creeks, which is usually pretty small. This is actually more like a river or looks more like a river that we would have here. And there's like an embankment kind of in the middle, like a little island. Why is it called a creek? What's the difference? Well, I think it's actually probably a creek. It's just a really big one where we don't really have big creeks like that. So I'm not really sure. A river is usually bigger than a creek, although there are instances that the word creek is used for a larger body of water depending on the place or country where it is located. Rivers flow in channels and have branches 
while creeks do not. That didn't help me. Okay. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. Maddie's still confused about the creek situation. I don't like it. It doesn't satisfy me. She's unsatisfied with my description of the creek. It's fine. Okay. So on an island on this creek is where they find a bag and they decide to go and check it out. And inside the bag, wrapped up and tied just like Tent Girl, is another body. Also, the autopsy findings were the same as well. The same discoloration on the right side of her skull. She was also in a canvas bag or, or tent material. material. Yeah. And she was tied with rope from top to bottom. And her feet were tucked underneath her. And her torso was bent over. Just like the other one. Which yes. maybe this is the best position to put somebody in if you're going to stuff them in a bag. I'm not really sure. It is kind of strange that they're the same. Again. But wait. She had a sweater wrapped around her head. Right. And remember, Tent Girl had a cloth diaper wrapped around her shoulders. So in some reports, you will see it reported that Tent Girl had the cloth on her head. And I think it's because these two cases get mixed up sometimes. Yes. But this one is around her head. Yeah. So they both have some sort of fabric around their heads and around their shoulders. Yeah. And both bodies were dumped off the side of a road near a creek. Yes. Interesting. Very interesting. So neither cases could determine a cause of death because of the amount of decomposition. Yeah. Having a lot of trouble with that (laughs) word. Um, And the similarities are just too much, even though they were found 600 miles apart. As a member of law enforcement, I would definitely think these two cases were connected. Well, it's kind of crazy to me that they hadn't, this department hadn't heard of this previous case. Yeah. Because it happened, I mean, 600 miles apart, but you've got to remember, they're not picking up the the phone and calling all the departments around them and being like, yo, what happened this week? There's no internet to check. It, they don't have a system where everything just kind of populates for them like we do now. Maddie's taking a drink, so I'm just going to wait because no matter what, I'm going to be annoyed at the amount of noise that she is making. Dude. With her cup, with her clinking rings, with her breathing, and with her swallowing. Stop. I'm getting like a (laughs) complex about the way I breathe. Because not only this, but then the other night, I guess I was breathing really loud. I've literally never known I've breathed loud until the last like six months of my life. I know. You are a loud breather. And then everyone's like, why are you breathing so loud? I'm like, I didn't know I even had this cough. Why are you swallowing so loud? Why do you choose so loud? There's so many things. Okay, Maddie, her her self-confidence is destroyed. Somebody say something it's nice to her. <laughs> by the day. Okay, on August 4, police got a call. I know who's the tent girl you've been looking for. She's a young kid that disappeared from Covington in late April, and then they hung up. When they called Covington, they determined that the girl who went missing had already been found and was alive and well. So in case you haven't been keeping track, that is the third girl that have been said, that's her, and then has shown up alive. I know. And I want to know with the first girl if they actually had her funeral. No, I she she turned up, or they found her before the funeral actually went through. Thank Damn, God. That would have been so funny. Uh, well, not, well, no. I, not funny. Mm. It's not funny, Madison. Okay. Kind of. No. Okay. If you're, you ran away from home and then you come back Her and your family- entire family went through the process of thinking she was dead. Okay. That's not funny. Okay. Yeah. But imagine coming home. Yeah. Maybe this is a funny story like 20 years later when you're at Thanksgiving and you're like, oh, remember that time that Maddie went missing and we had her funeral, but then she turned up alive? 
maybe then it's funny, but now it's not funny. <laughs> At the time, it would not be funny. Okay. I would feel bad for anybody in that situation. But way later at Thanksgiving, right. it right. would be maybe funny. it might be funny. Maybe there there might be some people that still don't think it's funny. Probably grandma doesn't still think it's funny. No, definitely not. Definitely grandma. Grandma. Grandma died from a heart attack during the funeral. So, <laughs> okay. Another. So okay, stop laughing. Another sketch was done depicting her with a fuller face and no smile and lower cheekbones. So they're trying to get another sketch out there that maybe could be what she looks like. And in May of 1969, so we have moved now. The year has changed. The year has finally, it's been a long year. It has finally changed. They reached out to the public and sketches and the case were distributed in Master Detective for more exposure. And by the way, I totally think that I would have subscribed to this magazine. So it basically, they publish real cases and photos and people like try to solve the cases. That's kind of cool. I know. Very cool. Even with everything that they've done, the case goes cold. Oh, and they've done so much. Like they, law enforcement has 100% done everything correct in this. Like I don't think there's anything that they've right, really no, they've missed. Done, they've done a really good job for sure. Okay. In 1971, a tombstone was finally placed at her grave in Georgetown Cemetery. Yeah, and originally she was just plot number 90 in the Potter's Field. So I'm guessing the 90th person buried in Potter's Field, but basically she was just number 90. Yeah, her tombstone read, Tent Girl. Don't like that they put Tent Girl on her tombstone. I I really don't like that because it reads basically like a missing persons flyer. Yeah. Found May 17th, 1968 on U.S. Highway 25 North. Died about April 26th to May 3rd, 1968. Age 16 to 19, 5 feet 1 inch. Weight 110 to 115 pounds. Reddish brown hair, unidentified. Yeah, so, I mean, I get the cemetery and the town and whoever contributed to this wanted to give her a headstone. And I'm thinking maybe their thought process was if somebody comes across this headstone in the future, maybe it could help identify her. I don't know. I think I do think it's a little strange. And actually, this tombstone is still up. So her identity would remain a mystery for decades. On October 31st, 1987, 20 years after Tent Girls found, a spooky story is told around a campfire in Livingston. Lori Riddle was there and told the story of Tent Girl. And remember, her dad was Wilbur Riddle. He was the man that found Tent Girl's body. So this is his grown daughter now telling a story around a campfire. So they had recently moved and she was hanging out with people she didn't really know. Oh, okay, gotcha. So Todd Matthews was instantly enthralled by the story. Well, and I think a lot of people are, right? Like there's this crazy story. This young woman is found and 20 years later, still they don't know who she is. Yeah. It's crazy. Lori took Todd home to meet her father and he showed him a copy of Master Detective. Which is that magazine that had originally been in. Todd became obsessed with researching it, partially because he had a brother and sister who had died when they were little, and he would go visit their graves every Sunday. And the idea of Tank Girl being alone was too much for him to handle. 
Right. So he kind of connected this visiting a gravesite as a normal part of his life, right? His entire childhood, every Sunday, him and his family, they would go to the cemetery after church. They would visit his brother and sister. It was like a normal thing. And so, because most people, the thought of a tombstone not being visited doesn't bother them this much. But the thought of her tombstone sitting there and nobody visiting her and her family having no idea where she is just really bothered him. So Todd and Lori did eventually get married, Hmm. but he continued his obsession. He started looking for reports of missing women around that time, but without the internet to aid him, he spent a lot of time on the phone. For 10 years, he gathered shreds of information from various places, and this actually put a strain on his marriage because he was spending a lot of money on these long-distance phone calls, and he was spending a lot of time researching this case. Uh, you did marry him knowing what you were getting yourself into, Lori. Yeah, I know, right? Um, his son was born in 1992. It dawned on him that Tank Girl may have been a mother. Right, and this was because of that cloth diaper. Mm-hmm. So he has his kid in 1992, and he's like, oh, shit, wasn't that a cloth diaper that was found with her? And then he's like, did anybody ever consider whether or not she was a mother? And he couldn't find any information where they had checked that. And he actually requested that they exhume her body and check her pelvis to see if she had had any children. And they never responded to him. I don't like the fact that your pelvis changes forever after you have kids. It sure does. And it never someday, ever goes back. Someday your hips are going to look like mine. No way. <laughs> kids are a bad investment. <laughs> Maybe it won't. Uh, Finally, the internet was born. Yep. In 1992, he saved up to buy a computer. Which, by the way, in 1992, computers were very expensive and very slow and very archaic. Because I was actually alive during that time. I know Maddie wasn't, but... Yeah, true. In 1992, my family had a computer. One that we all had to share. 1992, you were what? Like nine? I was 10. Yep. Congratulations. You were so old in 1992. <laughs> I didn't say I was so old. I'm just saying we had we had one of these dial-up <laughs> computers. Okay. He spent a lot of his time joining communities of people interested in cold cases. In 1997, he created a website which did not yield anything, like a find this person website type thing. Okay. So one evening in January of 1998... It was after midnight when he came across a post that put a lump in his throat. Right, and this was a post from an Arkansas woman named Rosemary Westbrook. She was looking for information on her older sister. So the post said, My sister has been missing from our family since the latter part of 1967. Hmm. She has brown hair, brown eyes. She's five feet. Two inches. She was last seen in Lexington, Kentucky area. If you have any information, please contact me at the address posted. So, Todd did. Which, instead of contacting her at the address posted, he actually cold called her. What is that? Cold call? Yeah, like just called her up. Like, hey, I saw your post. I think I might know where your sister is. By the way, she's dead. Like, he literally, like, called her up. So, he got Rosemary on the phone. And she told him about her sister, Barbara, whom everybody called Bobby. At 19, Bobby, 
who had six siblings, by the way, was ready to get out of the house. She met a 24-year-old named George Earl Taylor, who worked for the carnival. The carnival. Keep that one. Just hold on to that. He walked into the social services office looking for a babysitter for his two-year-old daughter, whose name was Bonnie, and Louise volunteered her second oldest daughter, Barbara, to babysit. So Bobby started babysitting because, and get this, he said that his wife had left him for another man. And ran off with another man. Yep. And left their daughter behind. So she's just gone. Mm -hmm. She's just gone, right? So Bobby found the carnival exciting and she started seeing him and fell in love. They married within months and they started traveling together with the carnival. And in 1964, they had a little boy named Earl Jr., who they called Sonny. Yep. They moved into an apartment in Miami, Florida, which was kind of the hub for the carnival area. And three years later, her sister Nancy moved to Florida to be closer to Bobby, and their parents actually followed after. Crazy. I know. The couple then had a daughter named Michelle, who they called Shelly. She is now 24 with three children, stays at home while George travels with the carnival during the summer. Yeah, and in the off-season, he does like odd work kind of stuff. What is carnival season? Summer? Summer. Mm Mm-hmm. You just said that. Never mind. Don't put that in the podcast. (laughs) Uh, In the summer of 1967, one day, she announced to her sister that they were skipping town because he had not reported for duty and the FBI was in town and they were looking for him and that they would come back when things had settled down. she tell her this in person? Was this over the phone? Nope, it was in person. She showed up at her sister's work and was like, hey, you want to buy our TV for $200? And her sister was like, no, I have a TV. And she's like, well, we really need the money. We're skipping town. They hear nothing from her. And one day they hear that George is back in Florida and Bobby is not with him. And this is from like a family friend that stops by to visit. Yeah. So Nancy, Bobby's sister, tracks him down. And he tells her that her sister took off with another man. And he won't tell her where the children are. Yeah, and she said she could actually hear children, like, in the backyard. And he was like, no, that's not the kids. And you need to leave. Scary. So scary. She doesn't believe that her sister would leave her children. Because not a lot of mothers do. It's very rare to see a mother who takes off without her children. It is rare. And isn't it ironic that he has now had two of his wives take off and leave their children? Yeah. I don't like that. So she decides to go immediately and report her sister missing. When she gets back home, she tells her mother about what happened. And her mother's like, no, something's wrong. So she goes down there. And guess what? He has packed up all his things and he and the kids are gone. And they never see him again. Okay. So Nancy tells Todd... That in late 1989, 30 years later, so 30 years after her sister goes missing, Nancy was contacted by Shelly, Bobby's now adult daughter, who says the last time that they saw their mother was when they were living in Lexington, Kentucky. Which is where that post comes in, where she posted last scene in Lexington, Kentucky. Because the family hadn't known that prior to this phone call. Hadn't even known that they went to Lexington. No, no idea. So Bobby disappeared in December and they moved again. 
Right after her disappearance. Yeah. They had an eight-month-old daughter at the time of her disappearance, and their dad dumped... All three kids. ...at his parents' house in Iowa and took off. Yeah, so Bonnie, Sunny, and Shelly. So Shelly was only eight months old when her mother went missing. So Bonnie, Sunny, and Shelly grew up being raised in three different households and raised by various family members. And they rarely saw their dad from that point forward. In 1984, a drunk driver killed 19-year-old Sonny Mm. while he was riding his bike. So sad. Before his funeral, the family decides to tell Shelly a little more about her background, including her mother's name. And the reason the family did this is because they're thinking that Earl is going to come back for his son's funeral, as you would think. And Shelly had been asking a lot of questions about her real mom. As you would as a child, not knowing where your mother is, and you're like, wait, everyone else has a mom. 100%. Where's, yeah. where's mine? So at this point, she's a teenager, and she is devastated to learn that her mom, Bobby Ann, had abandoned her as an infant because they had just never told her where her mom was. Shortly after this, her father was diagnosed with cancer, and she actually confronted him, but he refused to give her any further information. But Shelly was determined to find out about her mom, and then that's when she tracked down Rosemary. Right, so she basically opened up the phone book and called every person with that last name in the phone book. Bonnie, who was seven at the time, remembers Bobby Ann and her dad had been fighting one night, and the next day when she got home from school... Bobby Ann was gone and her father had packed up. She was whisked into the car and they left. And that was it. Yep. That was the last time she saw Bobby Ann. Yeah. Was the night before when they were fighting. Now that they knew where she last was, they actually contacted the police in Kentucky and they were told that there was no one dead or alive matching her description that had been found in Kentucky. Um, What about Tent Girl? Excuse me. Come on. Who they did think was younger than that. She's Remember, she was 24 when she went missing. They thought Tent Girl was at most 19. So Todd put her in touch with Kentucky's forensic medical examiner and tells her to demand that they check Tent Girl's DNA. Yeah. And on March 2, 1998, Tent Girl's body is exhumed and sent to the lab in Frankfurt, Kentucky. DNA testing was done using a cheek swab from Rosemary and pulp from one of Tent Girl's teeth. Mm, Gross. I know. I I don't know why that really bothers me. The test definitively identified Tent Girl as 24-year-old Barbara Ann Hackman Taylor. Yep. Now we know who she is. So George has long died. By this point, yeah. I mean, he died in 1987 of cancer, and we're in 1998 now. So, a new headstone has been placed beneath the original one, giving Tent Girl her name. It did omit her married name of Taylor. Right. And this was due to the implication that he may have been the most likely person to kill her. I support that. Yeah. I mean, I do. No. I I mean, it's kind of rough if he didn't do it, but I think we're pretty sure he did. Why the hell are you packing up all your children after fighting with your wife? Well, he said because his wife took off on him, so he had to, like, pack up and leave. But, yeah, I don't know. Okay, so there's a couple things that I still have some issue with. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. Continue. Let's hear it. 
where was he four weeks before his wife died? Because mm. remember that other body that was found? Where was that other girl killed? 600 miles away. But kind of a weird coincidence. And then the biggest issue that I have, well, besides the fact that he can't be brought to justice and got away with it because he died. Stupid. But where is Bonnie's mother? Where is his first wife who ran off on him with another man? Oh, she's dead somewhere. Bonnie's mom is dead somewhere. 100%. 100%. And has Bonnie gone on to Ancestry or gone on to one of these places, put her DNA in there, and found her mom's family? Because I guarantee you— I would assume that she probably has at this point. I would think point. so. Because I guarantee you she can find her mom's family that way and— Find out if anybody has had any contact with her since this time. Yeah. We are not sponsored by them. No, we're not. Okay. But please sponsor us. We're <laughs> but, too small for that right now. They're not, maybe, no one's ever, but maybe... Maybe sponsor us. Maybe Who if someone sponsor from Ancestry. Us? Yeah. Or, or actually, honestly, anybody. If you want to sponsor us at this point, we're free. Yeah. We, you, can, you can PayPal us some money and we'll just like call out your, uh, your business on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'll do it. We'll do it. Or if you just want us to be like, hey, giving you a shout out personally, that's cheaper. I mean, either way, like, let us know. <laughs> let us know what you want. You want us to post some photos in your merchandise from your business? We can do that. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, just sponsor us. We're interested in making the money. Okay, anyway. <laughs> We're back. interested in the money. I will talk about your little <laughs> business that you do woodworking for like... 35 minutes if you want me to. <laughs> no, she won't. No. We are not committing to that. That is not legally binding. Okay. <laughs> this is not a legally binding contract. Do not listen to anything. Please read the small text. <laughs> okay. And then one little loose end that gets tied up a little bit is in 2005 when a woman contacts the police telling them that the canvas bag that Candace was found in, the first body, belonged to her suspicious. She said that her husband had asked to borrow it from her and he took it outside to a waiting car and disappeared for hours. The story was that Candace had left her home around 8 p.m. to walk to the trolley bus when a car pulled over and offered her a ride. It was thought that she knew one of the members in the car and that might be why she got into the car. Mm -hmm. They drove her to a deserted area off of uh, Decutcher Road Near... Nope, say it with more confidence. Okay. DeCoucher Road, near Northeast Philadelphia Airport. Rather, this was against her will or not is unknown. But she was allegedly injected with an illegal drug, which caused an overdose. Okay. Not sure if she had any kind of drug history or if they forced this on her. I'm really not sure. They then went to the other man's house to borrow a bag. So he asked his wife to borrow the bag. She gives it to him. They stuffed her in the bag and dropped her in the creek. It is said that the men have been identified and they believe they know who did this, but that they're dead and cannot defend themselves, so their names have not been released to the public. So they're basically saying the two cases are not connected at all, which I still, I don't know about that. Maybe Earl was in that car. Maybe Earl is one of the guys and that's how that happened. So then when they killed that girl and then he was like shit i gotta maybe that's how he like, killed his wife but i but then they wouldn't be saying the cases aren't connected because they say they know everybody that was in the, the vehicle okay 
but they've all died, so they can't release their names. Well, maybe they don't know. Maybe they don't 100% know. know. They say the cases aren't connected. I kind of call bullshit a tiny, tiny bit on that, but I don't know for sure. Maybe it's just a big coincidence. Maybe it is. Or maybe Earl is involved somehow. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Okay. Another thing as well that I think is crazy about this case, this is not the first case where a crime sleuth, kind of like us, has been searching through missing person forums and solved a case. Remember the Barrow murders? Yes, exactly. So if you guys think that you don't influence or can't help or do things, you're wrong. These are literally two two different people that solved both of these cases. And granted, maybe don't piss away 10 years of your life trying to find it and destroy your marriage. But... Which is what they both did. I know. But maybe like you have a couple hours and you're like, oh, I'm going to go check some missing forums... And see if anything if matches that. up. Yeah. I mean, if you're into that, like, why not? Another cool thing is that Todd Matthews, he actually co-founded the Doe Network. So the man that found Tent Girl's identity co-founded the Doe Network, which I don't know if you guys know about the Doe Network, but it's amazing. He was also involved in Eden, which is the foundation, and it stands for Everyone Deserves a Name. And he's the current director of Case Manager of NamUs. Way to turn your hobby into a badass career. Yeah. I mean, really. Also, for more information on this case, there were, I mean, there's a few podcasts that have done it. They were all pretty light in information, though. All the ones that I listened to, except for there's one called Unsolved Murders. If you like reenactment type crime telling, there's also an ID Discovery uh, episode on the case. Uh, which is really good, too. But yeah, if you guys have anything to add on this case or any other theories or ideas, somebody help us figure out what happened to Bonnie's mom. I want to know so bad. Where his second wife is? First wife. First wife, I mean. Side note, has DNA ever been done and is Bonnie really his kid? Did he even have a first wife? Did he fucking kidnap her? Like, can somebody We've seen please? that, the one, yes. the girl with the barrel murders. That was yes. the barrel murder case. I know. Where he had that daughter, and then turns out that wasn't even his daughter. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Like, can somebody please find out... If they've done that. If they've done that. Because I need to Also, Patreons, get ready. <gasps> oh, yeah. So we're going to mention our Patreons. But also, get ready, guys. Next week, there's going to be an update. We have an update for you. Can I just say, like, our Patreons are so amazing. Yeah, you guys are awesome. You guys are so awesome. Like, the communication, like, everything that you guys do for us, I mean, you're just amazing. We, we love, love you. You're great. All right, so we have Hannah Scott. Hi, Hannah Scott. Welcome to our Patreon. Thank you. And I like your name, too, Hannah Scott. Scott. I want to say Scott like they do in Michael Scott, the production, where he, at the end of the video that he makes... Great Scott. Like the... Yeah, the... Do you know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Great Scott. Yeah, exactly. But welcome, Hannah, and thank you um, for being a Patreon. We also have... Lisa Brown. Lisa Brown. Welcome to Patreon. We're so happy to have you. And thank you to everybody who has supported us. But yeah, if you guys want more things, more material, more things to listen to, more bonus... Material Like, we have some really cool bonus material coming up in the next month. 
Yes, um, we where we're traveling to one of our cases. We talked about that once before. It's going to be super fun. We're excited about it. We're going to have videos to post on there. We're going to have a lot of visual content coming up on our Patreon with that trip. Yeah, because we are actually going to be camping out in our tent in a couple locations. So, yeah, so get ready for that. for that. I know. Hopefully we don't we're gonna disappear. Try not, we're going to try not to disappear. But Loki yeah. worried about a serial killer at one of them. Actually, more uh, more more than Loki, we're I'm pretty worried about it, but it's we're fine. We're probably gonna get murdered, but it's fine. You also get hiking with Hannah. Yes. <laughs> which is just so entertaining. Entertaining <laughs> us talking. Just I was actually editing the most recent one yesterday. And it's been a while. So the quality's not as great on it as it, our quality is now because we recorded it like a couple months ago. And I just haven't had time. So I kind of forgot everything that we talked about on it. And I was like laughing the whole time I was editing it. Yeah, it's pretty entertaining. It's very entertaining. But yeah, so come check out our Patreon. Thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, We appreciate you guys. You're amazing. And we will see you next week. See you next week. Bye, guys. And we're pretty sure, by the way, we're going to get interrupted by Phoenix at some point. She's watching a movie, but she's very emotional today, and she's already come down here. So, yeah, be ready for that. We, uh, Phoenix cried over Minecraft cats Oh, my gosh, you guys. Apparently, in Minecraft, I don't know Minecraft, but you can make cats breed by feeding them something. Raw fish. Okay, so you feed them raw fish. They breed, and they have more cats. Well... Phoenix thought it was kind of fun that they kept having all these kittens, so she just kept making more. And then she got super stressed out because the cats wouldn't stop following her around. And she burst into tears when Maddie told her the only way to get rid of them is to kill them. Yep, let's just say we had to ditch that entire Minecraft world and create another one. A new Minecraft world has been created, and there's a bunch of stray cats somewhere in the Minecraft world. So, yeah, I don't know. They're all just going to be staying in that one single spot. There's like 50 cats. Like, it's, <laughs> and like when you tame an animal on Minecraft, it like follows you around. Yeah, it's really, really bad, you guys. It's pretty funny, though. But yeah, it was very um, emotional.